podcast today is being recorded at Catalina's Jazz Club in the heart of Los Angeles and today our guest is saxophonist Bob Franceschini. How are you? It's how, good how, to be here. Good. Man. Your last name's a hard one to pronounce, Franceschini. Yeah, it's like Francesco with, with Ini on the end of it, Franceschini, yeah. without the O and Ini. Bob is playing tonight at the club with Mike Stern yeah. and his quartet, Victor Wooten and Dennis Chambers and You've been playing with Mike for seven seven years now. Yes. What's that relationship been like, playing that much with the same musician? It's been my chance to really get my playing together. Because before playing with Mike, uh, I did a lot of pop gigs, and or musical director gigs or production gigs and things like that. I was a good player in in high school. Like I, I got good pretty fast. You know, relatively good in that. At a, fa at a fast rate in the beginning. I got to play with a lot of great young musicians at, in high school. I went to a specialized high school. It was like a high school of music and art. And then, uh, and then when I hit the real world, I kept playing jazz in New York, not making that much money with it. And I had the opportunity to make decent money doing pop gigs or doing, uh, yeah, Latin pop and, and R&B and funk and, and, and just straight up pop stuff. Um, getting Mike's gig, I was able to start playing jazz every night or, you know, improvise music every night with, with you know, not, not in a horn section or, or, you know, playing little fills here and there, you know, actually having to just like get up there and solo every night. And this gig, you're really kind of left out on your own. There's, yeah. The rhythm yeah. section is guitar, bass, drums, and you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, a, and, and Mike lays out a lot. So it's just basic bass and drums and, and me. Now I'm starting to get to the point where I can express it, and it's and it's it's a great great feeling. And uh, uh, you know, when 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 you grow up playing, you you have your your influences and your idols, and you kind of emulate them, and you go through that period. It's hard to break off from your influences, you know. And so, uh, um, playing every night it definitely helps. Uh, I think I think. Playing the Yamaha horn helps a lot because everybody's playing the you know the usual setup, and so when you break out of the usual setup, uh, you start finding a different voice, a different approach. And so for me, it was really it was a huge thing to switch you know from from like I was using a, a typical you know summer balance action or, or Mark Six, and then to switch to Yamaha was was really important for me as a catalyst to just trying to find my own voice. schedule with Mike is is ridiculous it reads like a you know who's who of 
countries around the world and it's yeah. one-nighters across Europe, yeah, yeah. that must be a completely different musical experience than, say, playing in a, you know, a seven-night-a-week gig at a club. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a challenge uh, physically. Is it, a, is it more of a challenge physically or physically. musically? Physically is a challenge. Um, I think, like, I was feeling... Uh, uh, a certain point, I, I had to really change my whole embouchure, like the, my embouchure, the mouthpiece setup. Just playing so much, it just wears you down. And at the same time, you develop like monster chops. So like I kept getting more and more open mouthpieces and harder and harder reads. You know, at a certain point, I had to say, wait a minute, I'm killing myself. If I would stop for a week and start playing again, I would be in terrible pain for like two or three days. So physically, it's a challenge on that side of it, and physically, the travel is a challenge. To be traveling so much, and, and now with all the security at airports, it's really, it's, it's, it's strenuous. You must be an expert on how to travel as a saxophonist yeah, around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any horror stories? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Where do I know. begin, right? Yeah, a, a couple of times, you know, you, you, you try to get the lightest case you can get, because you, you know, you're traveling so much, you want a light case. So I made the mistake of getting like a, a, a gig bag that was, wasn't protective enough. And I had my horn, we, we, we had one of these like, play till 2 a.m., 5 a.m. lobby call to the airport and, and everybody's exhausted. So I get on the plane, put my horn in the overhead thing and I fell asleep before the plane was, was completely full. Apparently, while I was asleep, some guy put his briefcase in front of my horn and then couldn't close the latch and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And when I opened the, when I opened the, the, my horn up, like, like two days later, I had a recording session. I had like a long tour. It was right at the end of a tour. Where I, was, I was on my way back home again. Pulled my horn out for a recording session and it was completely flattened out. The bell was completely flattened out against the body. Oh my gosh. You know, so things like that happen. You're pretty good uh, you know. now at spotting where your opportunities are and, you know, always watching the situation unfold at the airport. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to be, we're, we're all trying to find ways to sneak our instruments on board. And now, like, the bass players are turning their bass upside down so that the bass looks like a backpack. You know, so the body of the bass, the, the electric bass, is on, on the shoulders. And so you walk in and people don't notice, that they think it's a, because they, they have a thing about letting you on with an instrument. You know, a lot of times they'll say, you're sorry, sir, you have to check that out. You know, be disaster, you know, check, check a tenor under the plane or, uh, or an electric base or something. What does your passport look like after all that internet travel? Oh, my travel? God. Yeah, it's, it's pretty full. It's pretty full, man. Playing 300 nights a year, how do you maintain kind of that fresh musical perspective? Uh, you have to keep, you have to keep growing, you know, um... For me, I just I keep I keep listening to other kinds of music, uh, studying, and uh, transcribing stuff. And what are you listening cool. to these days on your iPod? Uh, I'm listening to uh, at the moment. I went back a bit to some stuff I had studied a while ago. It was Sonny Rollins um, from 1965 called On Impulse. And a performance of uh, Three Little Words, and I can't get enough of it. I just keep listening to that over and over again. And then I've been listening to Pat Martino, guitar player, 
Um, I've been listening to this one record called Joyous Lake over and over again, transcribing little bits of it. And what else? Woody Shaw, trumpet player. Uh, Stepping Stones. It's like a, a, an album I had when I was a kid, and now they reissued it on CD and with some, some, some outtakes of, or some alternate tracks. And I love uh, Woody Shaw. So, is there an album or recording that you listened to as a as a kid that really turned you on to playing the saxophone that you can look back and say, "This recording changed my life." Oh yeah, yeah. Um, originally, um, I started on piano, and when I was about ten, maybe ten uh, years old, I heard this tune called Sol Makusa. It was a guy named Manu Dibango, an African saxophone player. And, uh, and and that blew my mind. There was a great saxophone solo on there with a lot of energy and great, yeah, really cool sound. And Tom Scott, his solo on Jazzman, Carol King had a tune called Jazzman. I heard saxophone on AM radio and and that 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 did it for me. You said that's the sound I want to hear. Yeah, I said I said I want to play saxophone. <laughs> Who knew that it would turn out like this? Yeah, I know. I never got over it. background of music, saxophone, <clears throat> flute, clarinet, you play all of the woodwinds, is mm. pretty diverse. Your, your mm. bio lists a bunch of artists, the least of which are some pretty well-known pop artists, yeah. some pretty well-known TV shows. Yeah. How, yeah. how does that fit into your, your career and your music? Uh, oh, okay. I, I think growing up in New York hel helps you have uh, a network of, 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 of diversity. You know, so I, I grew up with a bunch of different musicians and sons of musicians and, and things like that. And, and just, to, I, I guess, I can't say competitiveness of New York, but people, people, there's a lot of people around that play really well. So it kind of forces you like to, to try to reach for a certain level right away. And, uh, um, when I was in school, uh, we all, we had to read music. You know, everybody was reading. We were all in like citywide orchestras and citywide bands, and and they had all these uh, um, city-sponsored uh, jazz programs and things. And everybody had to learn. Everybody learned how to read. And so, out of high school, uh, I caught the tail end of like the studio scene in New York. I was like one of the last guys that got in because. Like I said, in high school, like a lot of the fathers of the kids who were in school with me were on the studio scene. And so I, I read really well, you know, and I could fake my way through soloing pretty good. So, so I read well, I played, I played uh, flute and clarinet, and so, I, so I, I caught a little bit of that, that tail end of that thing with a lot of TV shows and, and records and disco records and all kinds of stuff. So from there, you just make the connection so that over the years, you know, people 
know you or you know you've worked with them and, and, and they know you can do a good job and you get the call one of your big names that you perform with and I remember you telling me about this playing with Jennifer Lopez oh yeah and, and yeah, you yeah, that was told me you were playing like rehearsing 12 hours a day or some yeah ridiculous you know <laughs> thing like that what, tell, sometimes, me, tell me about sometimes that. you know you hear like about like these pop gigs that pay a lot of money and you're like you're like wow man you know Wow, that's just you know you're so lucky you get the, but man, believe me, in some way, I mean, it's it's great money or whatever, but you know somehow they get it out of you. You're like, it's not enough money. <laughs> you were playing flute, right? I was playing and just like, flute. Were you? Is it true you told me you're rehearsing like the same two songs for twelve yeah, hours? Yeah, it was two songs, and yeah, it was like eleven hours a day. You're probably was, really good. But it was nice. Songs. The thing about pop gigs like that. And, and and a lot of young musicians don't understand this. They say, "Oh man, what? A, you know, I don't want to do that." You know, it's a, it's a challenge because <clears throat> when you do a gig like that, you're surrounded by a bunch of people who know very little about music in general. They're they're mostly people that are into visual, the visual arts, you know, or or like watching performances, and they're production people, and there's business people around. And everybody's sweating bullets because there's so much money riding on that project that they're watching everybody to see that everybody's into it all day. Like every time you play a song, it's like as if you were doing a performance with 14 cameras on you, you know. And if you don't, you'll get a nudge on your shoulder and they'll replace you. So it's 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 like a weird pressure. So at this, so what 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 has to happen is. It takes a different kind of concentration. It's a challenge to give a high performance level every time, very accurate, and be like smiling the whole time and into it the whole time. Every time you play the song, you might play the song without exaggeration 300 times, and every time you have to be like totally into it, or else. Even the other musicians are they they're counting everybody's counting on each other because the, there's a lot of money writing everybody's kind of counting on each other to be into it so there's pressure from the other musicians you know if you're if you're kind of slacking off or thinking about oh, oh, I gotta go what am I doing tomorrow uh, and you're you can't you have to be like totally focused oh, that's a different you know? kind of pressure yeah and uh, I did Paul Simon's gig for a while too and we did a project for Paul and there was there was the, the rhythm section rehearsed for a year and a half, like five, you know, nine to five or whatever the hours were, uh, 11 to six or seven, uh, for a year and a half. They brought the horns in later. And, and that was, wow, it was like a laboratory. It was no smiles on anybody's faces. And it was just really, really heavy. It was, it was just so much, so it was so scrutinized. Every note, every phrase, every voicing every all the dynamics and they would add things and take away things and every day there'd be different revisions on the music and it was it was incredible but anyway you, you see i mean there's it's polish you know there's things that are high production there's a lot of money involved they get the best people and so
background with Yamaha saxophones is relatively recent. We first met you and I about now five years ago in New York, and you were one of the first people to test the prototypes of the wow. current saxophones yeah. we're making. Or do you remember back great. to those? The, yeah, those I remember your initial impression. Yeah, I remember three guys showing up. I w we're in the middle of nowhere for me. It was middle of nowhere. <laughs> It's like we're in, in, in Michigan somewhere, somewhere, and, and, and three Yamaha guys showed up. And uh, uh, and I was like, wow, they brought all these horns, and, and they said, go ahead and try it and see which one you like. And and I tried a bunch, and there was one that was like, um, it was a Z, right? It was going to be Z. It wasn't at the time. Uh, it still doesn't. We hadn't decided on that number Z yet. On, your yeah, your yeah. horn is one of. I yeah. think two or three in the world that actually have the kind of pre-82Z model yeah. number on it. Yeah, and, 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 and it had no lacquer. And I, had, I was playing on a horn with no lacquer, so I think it was, I was used to that no lacquer thing. And, uh, um, and a couple of different, and I tried it with a couple of different necks and things, and it was really, it was amazing to play. After, after playing the, 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 the horn I had was, was was very dark and uh, pitchy. It was hard to control the pitch. I had to really work hard at controlling the pitch. And all of a sudden, when I got the Yamaha, I was like, just felt so much ease on my embouchure, and, and the, pr the projection on the horn was great. After yeah. 300 nights a year, that yeah. adds up. It does. A little bit Believe of difference me. makes a big Believe difference. Believe me, and it's not that little a difference. If, you, if I go back now and try and play my old horns, I can't do it. I can't do it unless, unless I'm doing the kind of music that was made. That if I play straight ahead jazz with an acoustic bass and drums, when those horns were made, you know the type this type of music that that those horns were made to play. That's cool. But if I have to play with an electric band with with a modern PA system with you know guys really pounding it out on the drums. It's 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 real. I mean, you can do it, but it's it's a lot of work. For what? You know, it's not really. It, it it it. After a while, I'm telling you, I was having, I was building up, uh, a lot of uh, scar tissue in my lip, and having trouble. I would stop playing for for a few days, and then and and when I went back, I would start bleed. You know, I have bleeding going on on the edge of my lips and stuff like that. So the Yamaha all of a sudden was like, wow, okay. It sounds like it came along so at the right time in your it career. It did. It was too. perfect. It was perfect. And then, like I said, the tone is different, so you're going for a different thing. It's so yeah. It's really well made. It's like I, I've been touring with the with the horn since I got it. I haven't had an overhaul on the horn. So that horn has probably played fifteen hundred gigs. Yeah, yeah. Time for an oil change. A, a little bit. <laughs> I used <laughs> I I oiled it I oiled oil it change. a couple of times. And a repair guy looked at me and said, did you oil this horn? I said, yeah, I oiled it. He said, don't oil the horn. He doesn't need it. Don't oil the horn. I said, but my, you know, my old horn, I used to have to oil it. He said, don't oil this horn. It's good. Don't, don't, you're going to knock the corks off or you're going to knock the, you know, the felts off, you know. So, it, yeah, it's, it's been almost maintenance free. And you're, and you're kind of years. touring activity. Does that give you some peace of mind knowing every night you're going to pick up that horn? Absolutely. And it's going to be right there Absolutely. for you? Absolutely. And right now it has like a couple of pads that, that really need to be changed. They're really dry. They're, they're not feeling great. And the horn still plays.
Gosh, after 1,500 gigs, I can't imagine why. You know, I've it, changed. I've changed the upper the palm keys, and that's it. I've only changed the palm key pads. So now, like the high, the the first uh, first note, the B, that one is a little bit on the dark side. It, you know, the, the leather looks a little dark and it's a little bit dry because that one gets a lot of the a lot of the saliva. That that key. Uh, and so that one's, and, but the horn's playing fine. So. Who are some of the great musicians you've had the opportunity to play with? Oh, wow. Okay. I've been playing for a long time. Or, let's see. <laughs> for like over, like, I've been playing professionally since 1976. 1976. So that's 30 years. Wow. Oh, my God. We can but edit, I'm a baby. We can, we can edit really that part out. <laughs> Never there, maybe just uh, of the number of players, the bass the players, drummers, Mike's, Mike, that oh, you Mike. play with on this gig, oh, there have been, it's who's who of, of rhythm section players. Any Anybody yeah. stand out as some of your favorites? Wow. Well, um, when I first got the gig, uh, there was Richie Morales, and he was a drummer with Spyro Gyro. I knew him from Spyro Gyro, from, and then he was with Grover Washington for a while. And, I, and when I was young, I had put a band together. And he was a drummer I called because he was playing with the Bre he, oh it was actually it was right before he got the gig with the Brecker brothers. He was a, he's a great drummer still sounds amazing. So for me it was like a thrill to play with Richie and uh, uh, Lincoln Goins on bass. He was really and they were they had been on the gig for a while, and I came in replacing Bob Malik, who was a really great player. Every time I hear Bobby, uh, I'm um, you know it's, uh, I'm amazed. He was really a monster. You followed a, a bunch of big names. Yeah, bonus on this this gig. Yeah. That's some pretty serious company. Yeah, Bob Shepard was on the gig before before Bob Malik. Then Bob Malik, I think, was doing it before Shep, and then and then came back. And uh, another Bob, Bob Berg, who passed, was one of my favorite players. As a kid, I used to go see Bob Berg. That was like that was that was the cat. You know, I was like. I used to sneak into this club called Tin Pan Alley, and I was like 14 years old, 15 years old, and I, and I looked older, and I had a hat over my head, and I would say, and then uh, and get to see Bob Berg. He was playing at Cedar Wall, and it was incredible. He really sounded great. And uh, and he hit me to a, like, you know, different players to check out, and, and I never studied with him, but we would talk a lot. So Bob Berg, so, uh, of course, so I knew that I knew Mike's music because Bob Berg used to do the records, and then uh, Mike Brecker also did, did did a bunch of records. Talking to you, you have a great appreciation for kind of the the history of jazz and yes, the sure. history of the musicians, yeah, and a, yeah. a healthy respect for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, I feel that that if you're playing an instrument and you're playing jazz, part of part of playing jazz is also carrying the legacy of the music. So it's not just about it's not just about playing the right notes and playing the right uh, rhythms and 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 uh, all that. There's also the, the thing of carrying on a legacy. So it, it's it's cool to, to know a little bit about it. So I, I was I was lucky enough, you know, growing up in New York and, and, and that kind of stuff, or, or just you know from touring, you, you meet a lot of musicians and uh, on the road, older cats, and they tell you stories about you know. Charlie Parker and Coltrane and Sonny Rollins and all those classic guys and, and you hear all the Buddy Rich stories and, and all Jaco Pest stories and all, all the classic crazy guys, you know, so.
over but your. There's a tradition to carry on, you know, in terms of in terms of sound and style. recording projects, some great jazz players. What are some of your favorite projects that you think are pretty representative of your playing? Oh yeah, yeah. Some of the, some of the jazz stuff I've done is is a little bit difficult to find, but I think it's, some of them are worthwhile because they're, they're a little unusual. Um, there's a band called Timbalaye, which uh, I did three albums with. Kind of an inside band, uh, inside thing, because I get musicians coming up to me all the time. Like, Are you doing another Timbalaya record, man? Because they're they're really hot. They're like progressive Latin stuff, Latin jazz. And uh, there's a, a record I did with Anthony Cox, a really great bass player, real great bassist, where I kind of stretched out, really nice. Um, and Mike's records, you know, there's a couple of spots on Mike's Mike Stern's records. And uh, and then lately I've been doing a lot of stuff in Europe, so some of that stuff is starting to sound good to me. To date, you've not done any solo projects, have you? No, not yet. Anything you want to talk um, about? Always, I mean, I'm always trying to... You're you know, so busy. Saying, okay, when would you yeah, have exactly, time to do exactly. a solo project? But now I just I just purchased like a, a new computer with uh, all this, all this like uh, Reason, you know, the, the, the um, a keyboard, one of these like small keyboard oxygen or whatever they're called and all kinds of you know gear like that I've always been into MIDI and sequencing but on the road it was like you know I never brought the stuff on the road so now I finally uh, got that together and so I'm gonna start trying to write and 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 then the thing is now you can like record in a hotel room I've got this inbox it's like an audio interface and I'm uh, you know I'm traveling with like some of the greatest musicians in the world I can just call them into the hotel room and say come over man play on this track you know so I'm starting I'm starting a, pro a project so like that. what what would a uh, Bob Franceschini solo project sound like so far it's kind of be uh, a Latin jazz but kind of very contemporary funky thing with um, with uh, kind of a Simple, you know, simple melodies. I don't want to write anything too complex, you know, nice and simple, but not definitely not a smooth jazz thing. It's not smooth jazz, so it'll be for people who who like who like uh, singing or something like that. But on the other end of it, you know, you know, uh, jazz aficionados, you know, I'll be in line to buy the first one. All right. What do you drink at Starbucks? At Starbucks. Oh, let's see. We've been asking everybody. Okay, I just tried a, I just tried a mocha something. Uh, Dennis Chambers, the drummer, he's a real Starbucks fan, and he dragged me in there the other day. He was like, "Yeah, Starbucks." So you're not a, a big Starbucks. You know what? Guy, or I, I live in guy? Italy right now. That's true. Saying coffee and Starbucks and to a guy. Man, <laughs> you know, in Italy, you could just walk any any bar and you get the most incredible cappuccino. 
you know, or, or latte or, or espresso is incredible. And it's like a dollar fifty. So so go to Starbucks to spend five dollars for for a coffee. I, I do I do like it though. I do like Starbucks, but, but I'm kind of a coffee snob now from being in Italy. So so it just seems it seems a little bit high the price, but but I guess I guess it's worth. It's better than than Dunkin' Donuts, I guess. It beats, it's it beats, the culture. You know, it's yeah. the it's the brand. I like the the frappuccino stuff, the cold stuff, like the caramel, whatever it's called. They don't have those in Italy. No, no, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't <laughs> have a Starbucks in Italy. It, would, no it wouldn't happen. Nobody would pay that much money for coffee. <laughs> Nobody. It's like it's a standard price. What, every bar you go to in Italy, the coffee's exactly the same price. You don't ask the price. There's no prices printed. It's like. It's universal. It's like ninety cents for an espresso and a dollar thirty for a cappuccino. That's it. I mean, one euro thirty cents. It's universal, you know. So hard, Starbucks hard would not make. Hard to get excited about it. paying four dollars. No, you then. can't do it. They'll, they won't happen. I, I don't <laughs> think so. Maybe in maybe in a major city. If people listening to this want to learn more about you and your career and your work and your projects, how could they online find out more information? Okay, yeah, I have my website going up at bobfranceschini.com. We should spill Finally. out that, We should spill out that name. Actually, it's a great picture on the website. Oh, you saw that thing on the construction? <laughs> yeah, you're sitting on the, the, the picture of the New York, or the New York skyline. Yeah, I was thinking when they were constructing Empire State Building. You, you always see it, the, the stores of all the workers sitting on the yeah. edge of this beam, a hundred stories in the air, and yeah. you photoshopped yourself in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the website, B-O-B-F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-H-I-N-I.com. Bob Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. It'll have, like, your bio and your projects, yeah, your it'll have It'll have, like, uh, also a student, a section for students. I have, a, I have students all over the world from traveling and we and we are communicate through the internet through email so this will be a much more advanced thing for students there'll be there'll be audio files there'll be pdf files with music and people will be able to to write in and and keep keep i you know they'll be able to send me audio files and they'll have their own special password to get in and that kind of stuff and then uh uh Know, friends can write in and there's there's a photo gallery for people who who you know take photos at these gigs most of the gigs are like it's just kind of a lot of photographers all, all you know if you search your name on the internet there are a ton of photographers yeah, yeah. that are taking some great pictures of you yeah there's a couple of really good ones really there flattering. was one i saw today that was like a zoomed in on the neck of your saxophone i saw that one like beautiful Yamaha logo and then you kind of blurred out in the background. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that one. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a few really good ones. There's some really talented people out there that are really into photographing jazz and that kind of stuff. And the, and they're cool. They just they, they send everything for free. So so on the website they're going to have their own galleries and like you can see they have links to their other to their websites and things like that. So it's taken a minute cuz we wanted wanted to cover all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, I have a, a manager, and she's awesome. She's my fiance now, and, and things are are progressing great there. And she's so she's she's kicking my butt because uh, you know I'm lazy. <laughs> so she's kicking my butt. Okay, that website's going up, whether you like it or not. Okay, yeah. it can't insane. be perfect. Just do it. You know, so it's like that.
Well, I, Bob, I appreciate the time talking to us. You're a great kind of representative of playing Yamaha and the, the sound, you. your sound on the horn is unbelievable. So. And I, I think a great example for people to hear what you know, great products in the hands of great musicians. It's a great instrument. It's, I, I, I tell you, um, a lot of uh, people that study with me, take master classes with me, the first thing they want to do is try it because there's everybody's looking for that, you know, the, something different and and that plays well and they try it and they flip out and I, I don't know how many people I know that, that have bought them I have people writing to me I just got my Z I just got my you know it's awesome it's really well, awesome the sales are going well so yeah, thank yeah. you I yeah, guess yeah, yeah it's been good it's been interesting you know well we certainly appreciate your time and uh, look forward to hearing you on the gig tonight all right yeah. thank you Thank you.